Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Crash MotoGP podcast, episode 27 with myself, Harry Benjamin, Pete the Clown and Keith Hewitt, of course. And on the show today, a look ahead to this weekend's racing action. We're back for another go at Portimao, uh, which sees Jorge Martin return to the scene of his huge shunt earlier in the season that put him out for several rounds. Fast forward to today, uh, still hampered with slight injuries. He may well be set for another operation. Also on the show, a uh, further look into the management setup of the new RNF Yamaha team taking over from Petronas SRT plus uh, not content with Formula One is Davide Brivio set for a return to Suzuki next season and confirmed last week Ducati will be taking on a new venture in Moto E for 2022 and beyond uh, that and more coming your way over the next hour but first we wanted to start the show and pay tribute to Paul Smart who sadly died following a road accident last week. Paul rode during an incredible period of motorcycle racing that saw huge changes from British dominance, four-stroke, two-stroke, all whilst riding for some of the biggest manufacturers in the bike world. And Keith, you know, you were good friends with them, weren't you? So it must have been a tough, tough couple of weeks for you. I was friends with Paul. I mean, it's obviously through the Sheens originally. Um, obviously, Barry, his sister Maggie, is married to Paul Smart. And Scott Smart, who is the FIM delegate for technical things and World Superbike delegate as well for technical things, um, is their son, who was a very quick runner on 250cc two strokes in this country as well. You know, the, the, the family is embedded in motorbike racing 100%. I mean, Paul Smart, otherwise known as Small Part, somewhat amusingly for some, I suppose. But... Um, he had a couple of motorcycle shops down in the south. Um, I was lucky enough to go and see him a month ago, him and Maggie, and had lunch with him in his garden after doing a tour of the sheds that he keeps his bikes in and all the rest of it. I mean, he was still very lucid, very, 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 very up-to-date on, on bike racing generally. Um, he just got over his second bout of cancer. Uh, a different, when I say get over, in other words, he'd been declared... Uh, clean from cancer at this particular point. He had uh, uh, throat cancer back in 2014, which he beat. Um, this time he had a malignant melanoma um, that, again, he's he's managed to get out the other side of. For a, for a 78-year-old man, that was pretty impressive that he was where he was. I mean, I mean Paul Smart, uh, people listening to this or, or watching us on this might not even know about Paul Smart, what an absolutely incredible motorcycle racer he was. 
you know, Ducati, Ducati, you know, he's revered at Ducati for what he did in the early days on motorbikes that at the time weren't really thought of as well as they are now, that's for sure. And to do what he did in Imola, I think it was, you know, no one else wanted to ride the bike and he went out and won that um, major race in Imola all those years ago, 72, I think it was, when he did that. Um, and remarkably made his name on a, a, a on a Ducati and was unfortunately killed on a Ducati. He, he got a Ducati monster that he used, um, you know, he's a very able man. You know, there's, there's no reason why anything age-wise would have affected what um, what happened, but unfortunately he was killed on a Ducati, which I, I suppose it's fitting. I always think it's the people that are left behind that, that have the problem. I mean, uh, speaking very personally, I mean, you know, perfect way to go for me, providing it didn't cause the other other person any any. Um, uh, problems, I suppose, mentally with with that situation being involved in that. I feel terribly sorry for for you know obviously for Scott and for Paula, the, the their daughter as well. Paula married Howie Mainwaring, who you remember was a Superstock Thousand front runner in this country. Um, you know they they live in Spain, so they're away from here as well. Maggie, who's had her own health issues over the last couple of years as well, so you know she's got a lot lot to to deal with as well. I mean, Scott in his usual way. I, don't you always worry about people that seem so incredibly able to deal with any amount of crap that comes their way? And Scott somehow is typical Scott. He's dealing with this stoically, 100% business-like. But you know, I mean, it's his dad, for God's sake. His dad was a legend, is a legend, will always be a legend. And Scott's having to deal with the aftermath of all of this. Always those that are left behind that that you feel the most for and want to support the most for. But... I think the thing to do, if you are young and you don't know who Paul Smart is, look him up um, and see the man that he was from a motorcycle racing point of view and from the likes of myself and the many, 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 many friends that he has around the world that will all be saying the same as me. Um, he was a great guy. And if you ally that to his career, then you'll you'll get the picture of, of what a massive loss this is to to bike racing and the world in general yeah absolutely and, and as somebody you know i'll be open and honest you know i had to i had to really i'm new to the bike world obviously and i you know there's lots of new people that i'm not always aware of and i suppose i shouldn't really be shouting out other rival uh websites but there is a great um obituary by matt oxley of motorsport which is, gives a, an amazing uh detailed look at, at um paul's life so uh, i would encourage anybody to go and, and have a read of that as well if, if you want to find out a little bit more uh, about paul smart and, and the kind of man he was um so keith thank you very much for that and of course uh, all of us here at crash.net would like to to send our uh, condolences to, to paul's family friends and and of course loved ones uh, at this uh, difficult time remembering uh, paul smart uh, at the start of uh, our show today um but of course we're all in this because we love the sports and we love racing. So let's talk about uh, some racing, getting ahead uh, to this weekend. Of course, Paul was a big Ducati man and coming up through the Ducati ranks, Jorge Martin in the Pramac. Um, back to the scene of the crime. Uh, of course, had a huge shunt uh, in Portimao. I suppose we're calling it Portimao 1, are we? Back, uh, back at the beginning of the season. Um, huge crash, really, where uh, I think he... Uh, broke his scaphoid, first metacarpal in the right hand and his right ankle, returning to this track, Keith. He's not, what's the, what are your confidence level like, confidence levels like? Because it really did put him out for a while. I think at this level, confidence is something that, that they build much quicker than they used to. Um, I think the bikes 
are slightly more forgiving generally. But Portimao is a tough track. There are some corners there you would not want to kind of get off on. They're quite quick. And again, I mean, some of the injuries were, were quite, you know, he took a massive clattering. I did a skate forward twice, you know, years ago. Skate forward's a really slow in building, you know, coming back together. They, the blood supply to that particular, it's a Mickey Mouse little bone. It's, you know, does it do anything? I don't know. It's a bit like an appendix. Do we really need them? I, I, anyway, um, Court Ballington, for instance, if you go back to the double 250-350 world champion back in the day, I always remember him telling me that he's, because at, back then he couldn't afford to not race here in the UK, he raced through it, and he's never rejoined. He never got stuck back together, and it's a pain forever um, after that. And the scaphoids can go on for months. So, you know, and again, the amount of pressure these guys are going through handlebar-wise, you know, you know, that could be an ongoing problem that saps a little bit of confidence. You might be a bit stiffer in, in a in a joint. You still you're still going to be suffering pain. You know, always I'm always stunned by how quick these guys appear to get over stuff nowadays. The fact is they don't get over it just like that. They are in pain. They are still feeling the after effects of surgery and so on and so forth, just like anybody would. It's just a state of mind that, 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 that they work as hard as they do to get around it. So going back to Portimao, I suppose like you go to a track that you've won on, you seem to do well at, when you've had a massive crash and your confidence is maybe just a degree off, at this level, it will be noticeable. You know, he, he will have to to get over that that hump, get back to where he's going. So if he doesn't have a great free practice one, you know, that compounds through the weekend. You need to start off on the right foot from the and build that confidence. From the first lap, you, you go back to Portimao 2, as we're now calling it, um, and, and build that back up again. I'm confident he will, but it's a tough track. It's not it an easy a, race track. certainly a tough track, but he is a, a fast racer. But of course, Pete coming off the back of Misano as though he crashed three times during Saturday qualifying, went down again in the race, obviously. And there was uh, a talk potentially after the last race that he might have uh, more surgery because he's got a bit of a muscle issue in his leg. But I'm imagining, well, we're, we're recording this on a Monday. The race, well, we've got to be there by Friday on track. I imagine if we haven't heard anything yet, it's probably unlikely to happen this week. But, you know, it's it's coming off the back of yet more crashes and that slight, you know, twinge in, in his in his uh, leg with the muscle injuries is, is a, lot of, a lot to overcome for him this week, weekend for Jorge Martin. It is. You know, we saw him come back and obviously he won in Austria, didn't he? He had those two great races, the two Austrian rounds. And so I think you then think, wow, he, he, you know, he's back to normal. But then we also saw that at some of the more physical tracks, he is still suffering with these original injuries from, from Portimao 1. And, uh, but the leg one was something that we hadn't heard, you know, too much about until after the last race, except that, well, not from him, but we've heard Jack Miller. He had, he had some sort of issue with, with gear shifting and, uh, you know, we thought it was a gearbox issue or something else, but it seems like there's something maybe with that latest Ducati as to it puts the leg under some strain or something. It's not quite clear because he's the second rider who's mentioned this. That's all that that makes you think, what is the, what is there going on there? Obviously, Ducati and, and the riders don't want to be specific about what it is. But Jack was having it was almost I think Jack almost described it as leg pump. So it was almost like his leg was going numb from, you know, but they weren't. Why was that? And now we hear that Jorge Martin is saying a similar thing. It seems I think it was his left leg again. So, um, yeah, we have to see, obviously, as Keith says, you know, it's going to be important for him to start the weekend well. Uh, you know, if it's a cold morning session in FP1, he's going to want to be pretty careful, isn't he? And just build himself into the weekend, get some solid laps under his belt. And then, as we see with these guys, you know, they can they can then quickly turn the corner. And I'm sure he'll be he'll be quick then. But he doesn't want to start the weekend off 
with a fall coming back to the track where, as we saw, it was a really nasty one. He just, you know, he went over and over so many times that, okay, there were, there were already several big injuries, but I mean, his whole body would have been battered by that. Yeah, well, uh, keep up to date with all of that throughout the week, but fingers crossed for Jorge Martin, who uh, has a clean weekend uh, back in uh, Portimao. If we swap over to uh, the Yamaha side of things and uh, the SRT RNF venture that is... Uh, forever ongoing um last week or coming into this week current srt director uh raslan rosali's longtime racing partner johan stiggerfeld is uh, a court apparently not going to be part of of this new rnf venture and which is a huge news isn't it keith because you know at, when it was launched and revealed that this was happening you know, it all seemed that it would be si- simply just a transfer those two would just be changing shirts yeah it's when things happen really, really well, really, really quickly, they can come apart really, really quickly, just as simply. And that seems to be this star that burst onto the onto the universe of MotoGP seems to have exploded and burnt itself out so quickly. It's it's will they ever get anywhere near what they've achieved in those first you know few years? I mean, it's been a remarkable story. Within six months, they managed to put together a team that wasn't even in existence. And perform in the way that they've managed to perform. Now, all of a sudden, you know, Razlan Razali, who he had two jobs. He was CEO of Sepang International Circuit, CEO, if you like, of, of the of the Sepang Racing Team, SRT. And now the the RNF, Razlan needs funds, as I've, um, <laughs> I've, I've tagged that term particular. Um, I can't remember what you call it now. It's some English term for, for company <laughs> down to three letters. But anyway, so RNF. I think it's going to be, it's obviously funding wise is not where it needs to be particularly, you know, because getting rid of really, really good people that have done a really, really good job seems to be a, a bad move in, in my estimations. Um, it's going to be a very interesting year. I mean, like, let's, let's, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to speculate, you know, it could all come at the beginning of next year and it could be a brilliant setup and it could work really, really well. But we are in the most competitive time ever in MotoGP. Um, and so if you start your year just slightly off the pace, then um, that's going to, you know, the team are going to struggle. Um, I still don't know. I've never really heard, Pete, and maybe you can help help us with it. I've not really heard from anyone at Patronus regarding why. We've never really got to the bottom of why they decided, somewhat abruptly almost, you know, it was an announcement that they were ending at the end of the year. Sometimes, you know, they make an announcement a year before our our project is going to go ahead through to the end of 2022 or 2023 or whatever it is but it seems to have been quite abrupt almost like um maybe it was by choice maybe Razlan decided that he didn't want to make an announcement that Patronus was going out until they had someone else in place to take over the reins and try and work out whether they were still going to run Moto3 and Moto2 as well because I mean that the whole ethos of, of the Patronus team was that you provided a ladder in that Asia Pacific region um for youngsters coming through I mean it was a the, the, the young part of it was a was a very important part of it until until Yamaha threw the oldest bloke on the on the track at them. I mean, quite a big name actually, Valentino. But anyway, um, you know, so the whole sort of plan went to pot in a very short period of time. Both the ethos for the young rider, you know, ladder and the money. You know, Patronus all of a sudden weren't there anymore, and it it just seems strange. It's, it's almost like what else has gone on? I mean, being a, 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 a died in the wall cynic as I am I always try and work out why why this is why what, what's gone on that we don't know about it'd be, be fascinating to be a fly on the wall 
as you say, Keith, I think this did come as a shock. I think I think Raslan used the word bombshell when Patronus said, I think it was August, that basically they said they weren't continuing. I mean, I, I don't think the team imagined that this situation was going to happen. I mean, Patronus had always been sort of fundamental to the formation of, of the team in the first place. I remember talking to Razan, I think, 2018, when he was putting it all together. And, he, you know, everything was checked with Patronus because it was such an essential part. As you, as you say, Keith, you need that funding to go racing. So every major decision was, was checked with Patronus. Razan was constantly flying back and forth to Kuala Lumpur to Europe during the racing season to, to make sure everything was in agreement. It was initially a three-year contract, so this is this contract is up this year. So Patronus at the moment, well, they won't. They, they, it's not like they've been extending contracts and now they're stopping. They've just had one contract. It's ending, and they're not renewing. Um, you know, this happened in August as a shock, as we say. Also a shock, it seems, is uh, to find out just how little, really, Patronus were paying for this deal. I mean, they, they had a really good deal. Rasten's quoted as saying 5% of the F1 sponsorship. Now, when you work that out, it's well under 10 million a year for three classes, MotoGP, Moto2 and Moto3. So that gives the impression that this isn't really a cost decision. Performance-wise, you think, as we saw last year, they had the, the best year for a satellite Yamaha team, everything else. So Rassen's kind of hinted that there could be a bit of a personality clash with someone at Patronus. Patronus tend to move their management around quite often. And it seems like maybe someone has moved into a position that... that, that doesn't really get on with Razan, and maybe that's something to do with it. But really, it's a big mystery. All they know is this came as a bombshell in August. And suddenly, as you're saying, there was this three-week period where everything changed. At the end of August, we had this announcement. Okay, Patronus are leaving, Moto2 and Moto3 are gone, but SRT will change the shirts, will be back, rebranded, and continue. Suddenly, by September the, the 17th, Razlan signed with this new RNF team. No sign of Stiggy, anyone else. So... It's that period where everything changed. And, you know, we, we had a bit of a glimpse trying to see what might have gone on behind the scenes. Put yourself in Yamaha's point of view as well. They were expecting to do another deal with uh, Sepang, Patronus, SRT. Suddenly all three of those parties are out of the picture. And it seems like there, was, there could have been some doubts as to whether Yamaha would have continued again next year. So, yeah, Razin's done the deal. He had the grid places. That's the important thing. And he's got the Yamaha deal. It's only one year at the moment, but you know he, he assures us that sort of June next year, he'll be looking to renew that. So let's hope so, because as you say, it, it, massive change around from how they started the year. Big problem for Yamaha as well. You know, like it was one of the situations, it was heralded at the time. Yamaha were failing. They didn't have enough, you know, bums on seats at MotoGP level. They didn't have that sort of structure that was, was giving extra data like Ducati do, like, you know, Suzuki don't have it either, of course, but... But generally, Honda do, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a massive thing when you're looking for tiny, tiny increments of, of improvement to have other teams chasing a different avenue of development or data. And Yamaha were, were always on the back foot regarding that. And that's where the Patronus team really looked like it was going to be of a major benefit to Yamaha. Um, and here we are with Yamaha winning everything at the moment. I mean, World Supers perhaps soon. They've gone on the BSB. They won obviously America. Ra 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 ra. Super Sport. They've done. You know, Yamaha at the end of the year are going to have all the pages <laughs> filled in motocross with um, with championship wins. And actually, manufacturer wise, at the moment, there's still a battle going on with the teams. Um, you know, we might have we might have a, a, a world champion as a rider, which is something that we all focus on. I mean, I never take any notice of the manufacturer's situation, but to them, in the teams' championship and the manufacturers' championship mean a, probably mean more than the, than the riders' championship. To be honest, um, certainly back in Japan, it will do. 
Um, and obviously with the Italians still getting involved in Ducati at the moment, that's not done and dusted yet. We've got two more rounds that could really alter the, the face of the final um, team's trophies. And you know something's not quite right when uh, the dog starts uh, barking up in uh, in Pete's uh, in Pete's land. So uh, clearly, one to watch there. And actually, if you want to know what RNF stands for, it it, it's, it has revealed what it is. It's uh, the the initials of uh, Razan Razali's uh, three kids as a, a tribute to them. So, uh, but Keith, what Keith, your one's better. I'm sorry, that, that's that's just not you know like honestly. I I just think that 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 just says more than it should really really i mean naming your team after your kids lovely but that ain't where we're at at the moment can you imagine that in anything else i mean in, in you know actually formula one let's you know name a team after you know razan's done a fantastic job in the past now he's got to make a step a massive step and not having the funding to make that step if if we're down to naming the team after the kids I'm afraid that all that smacks to me is is that they do not have sufficient funds as yet to move further forward than maybe next year. They're running on residual almost. It's like the team is set up. They already have a certain amount of stuff in the bank back at the back at the ranch, spares, kit, everything they need to to make this year work. But after that, you're overstretched without a date, everything. Um, so it's it, it it just it has that horrible feeling about it at the moment. Uh, and when I made the you know exploding star analogy at the beginning of this rhetoric, it was um, I meant it. You know, it's very rare you see a team as brilliantly run and as brilliant achievements um, suddenly find themselves in a one-year deal with not really the cash we would assume to go beyond that and naming the team after your kids. I mean, let's see what people think at home. You know, get involved in this. I mean, where where do where do you see it? Where, where, you know, I've never quite seen anything quite like it as it is at the moment. This is, this is new ground for me when it comes to that level that that team has been at. Um, don't seem right. It'll all come out in the wash. We'll see, we'll see everything during the case in the course of next year. What, what they do have on their side is Zielenberg staying. So that's been confirmed. So they, we know that they'll have an experienced team manager. The riders are contracted to Yamaha, which again, you can interpret in different ways, can't you, by that deal. But so... Razan's saying that most of the team will remain the same. We know that, that the people that arrived with Rossi will be leaving, his crew chief, his trainer, the, the data guy. But again, we, we need to see. We need to see exactly who stays. They've got this with you title sponsorship. We don't know how much that is. Um, so there's still a lot to be announced. Um, and we don't know where Stiggy's going to be next year as well. Um, and maybe that's tied in with, we know that he's spoken to Suzuki VR46. Doesn't seem like there's any openings there. So, you know, there's a lot, lot of unanswered questions still. Maybe Michael Lavert will hire him. He seems to be the man that's doing all the hiring at the moment. Brilliantly. Oh, you are so good at segueing. <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe. I'm, I'm still convinced there's three Michael Lavertys. There's like one that gets around. I think he's. I think we got what? What? There was that film, wasn't there? Uh, that the, the, the guy could split himself up all around the world. I think Michael Lavert's got one in Asia, one in North America, and one over here in Europe. I, I'm convinced of it. There's. They're clones of Michael Laverty. Because how the hell can he see his newborn child and wife, obviously, uh, and run all these things? The academy that he's running over here, the new Moto3 team that he's, 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 he's launched for next year as well, off the back of the Patronus Moto3 team dem demise. Um, <laughs> he's a remarkable uh -huh. man. And now he's hired the newly retired Taylor Mack. 
I mean, that's just incredible. Taylor McKenzie, who is quite a smart lad, Taylor, quite eloquent. I think the press release hasn't been particularly specific. Was there a press release? I don't think there actually was. I think um, it's, it's all verbal, but it hasn't been particularly specific. So we haven't really seen exactly what Taylor Mack's um, details are and what he is actually going to be managing. We're all assuming Moto3 because it did say World Championship. But that's a big old step for a kid that steps off of, you know, Superstock 1000 in the British Championship. Yeah, he's got a great pedigree, and his dad, Neil, obviously, and, and new BSB champion, Taron, as, uh, as brother. But running a team, managing that team, is a big deal. And, and Michael Laverty's going to be busy doing what he does at the moment. He's not going to let it go either. He's going to stay in the broadcast for BT, so he's still going to be doing free practice all the way through Friday, Saturday, Sunday racing it means he is going to have, and he does a lot of feature stuff as well, which means that takes up time. You know, it's not just the, you, you see when you see him on TV, that's not just the time it takes up. There's setup time, there's discussion time, there's you know team running order time that he's got to get his way through. He's got to be across all of that, otherwise he'll be doing BT down in, uh, and a bit of a disservice. So he's got his bloody hands full at a weekend. Taylor Mac, um, good kid. I, one of the things that I saw that was quite spe- specific, and this is again Michael Laverty thinking way out of the box, way ahead of things. I saw that there was a, a tag for him in digital media because Taylor is quite good at all that kind of social media stuff. And, and, and you know, you can tell by the way I'm speaking, it's not my fault. <laughs> all that social media stuff. Yeah. <laughs> pardon me. Yeah, par- pardon me, Harry. I know you know all about it. But the point being is that is where it's at. That is where we're headed. That is where PR, future deals, and all the rest of it, and the, and the – and the promotion of, of riders and teams, that's where it's all at. You know, television really is old hat. You know, one day in the not-too-distant future, and it ain't too far away in my view, we're all going to Facebook, Netflix, Prime, wherever it might be, and the big broadcasters that we're seeing at the moment, the BTs, the Skies, and all the rest of it, are going to be the ones that are on the back foot because the, the business model that runs the likes of Amazon, they don't care whether it's got 250,000 audience or a, a 250 million audience particularly because everybody watching is a potential customer the funding is not coming through advertising and the like and the, the the periphery of standard broadcasting if you like it's a completely different business model and i would think the likes of you know sky and and, and bt and the like bt now the zone of course they've bought into the bt sport thing so we've got a completely different situation there that we've got to look forward to next year how is that going to pan out I think there's going to be some massive changes in broadcasting in the not-too-distant future. Um, and I think Michael, getting back to the subject of Michael Laverty, I think Michael's bang on the money, as usual. And that, he's, I've always liked Michael, and I've always thought he's a very clever fella. And bugger me, he really is. I mean, I think he's across this stuff really, really well, and I think he's got an eye on the future. And the old dinosaurs around there will have a bit of a struggle. And I think Taylor Mack could be a very good appointment or it could be quite a difficult one for him he's 28 so he's in the zone as far as worldliness and you know experience um, and being given this opportunity he's very eloquent he's very smart 
got that pedigree, like I say. So it could be, uh, you know, one of them brilliant moves that Michael's made yet again. How Michael Laverty, as you say, has time for anything. I was going to say, and and he also had time to come on the podcast. So he clearly is, he manages to work his diary like nobody else. Um, and yes, as you say, still unsure. Although in Taylor McKenzie's Twitter bio, it does say he is the team manager for Vision Track Michael Laverty World Championship Race Team. What can we deduce from that? Potentially that points to a Moto3 uh, appointment. But um, as you say, I'm sure when there is an official, I don't know, even more official statement, we'll have it uh, on Crash.net for you uh, as well. But that is a, a bit of Taylor McKenzie news for you. Um, let's uh, carry on with the personnel news story, shall we? Um, because uh, now this actually came out, I think, last week or perhaps the week before. But we didn't have enough time to chat about it. Um, Suzuki, uh, Davide Brivio, um, former team manager, of course, went over to the four-wheeled world in Formula One to take up the role as uh, racing director at Alpine, but rumoured not to be too happy there, and, and perhaps uh, a return is on the cards. Can you imagine how many chiefs are going to be in a Formula <laughs> One team? I mean, I, I, it looks to me to be so segmented through the order of things. I mean, Alpine is a good team. Um, I don't know. I don't know whether... A, dyed-in-the-wall bike man would be that happy moving across discipline-wise. I mean, it would have been a good experience for him, for sure, to see how the other half live. Um, you know, and Formula One is a massive, massive operation. So there, there would have been something good come from it. And he'll come back an even bigger weapon than he was before. But I think Suzuki have been missing something this year a little bit. And I think Davide Brivio was what they've been missing. I think that's exactly right, Keith. Yes, I mean, we know that they've been looking for somebody to fill this position. And of course, when this whole news about Patronus leaving came out, people thought, oh, maybe Wilco Zielenberg, because he wasn't initially named as staying. It was it was Stiggy that was named as staying. That's now gone quiet, as we say. And Suzuki seemed to have gone quiet as well. And it seems to be because they've got someone in mind and, and everything is pointing towards the fact that Brivio could be back sooner rather than later. And as you say, it would work for both sides, it seems. It seems like Brivio is not happy in Formula One. I don't quite know exactly, but... Exactly as you say, Keith, when you look at his title, I think it's racing director or something, you know, it seems like there's there's several stages of management all mixed in together over there. And it's it's such a huge operation trying to make a difference in the way that he did with Suzuki, which was quite a he was running the European part of the team, wasn't he, really? Which is what, 40, 50 people. And, you know, his his real genius was getting them all to 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 outperform factories with bigger budgets and work with the Japanese, which is not always easy for a European team to do. And, uh, you know, how does that translate? You know, who knows? But it seems like it could happen. I mean, Suzuki have been pretty open. They still speak to him. They'd like to have him back, but they're saying it's just rumours at the moment. Imagine how much money it's going to cost them. Now he's on Formula <laughs> One budget. <laughs> Good luck to him. Hope he does come back. over that less than 5% of the F1 budget for Patronus. It's, it's mental, actually. Like It's a rip-off, surely. Um, well... Yeah, but you, yeah, but the Patronus budget in Formula One is so that bloody is also, out of this world. I mean, five percent is um, <laughs> yeah, still when, quite when a lot you start of money. Saying ten million, bloody nothing. Then, then you know something's a bit, uh, a bit off there. Um, well, we'll keep an eye on that, Davide Brivio. Um, and now, of course, some more big news that came out, which you didn't have time for again, but I did promise we would talk about it. It's Keith's favourite subject. It's Moto E, and it's Ducati who uh, have announced that they will become the official Moto E supplier, uh, taking over from uh, Energica. Four years of uh, Energica will come to an end. Uh, and, well, I don't think many people... Well, maybe I'm wrong. Did many people see this move coming? I'm not sure. 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. JCB are my heroes. They've gone to hydrogen. Okay. JCB, the big JCB company, have gone to hydrogen. They have bought up 25% of one of the major suppliers of, um, of the chemicals that they need to make it run. I mean, I, I think it's fantastic that, that, that Dorna have found a partner for MotoE. I still believe that Dorna have headed off the same situation that we had with the E Grand Prix, the, the competitor, if you like, to Formula One when Bernie didn't go down the route didn't cover off a, comp- a competition that is now in parallel with his own. I don't think it's ever going to beat it because I think that, you know, Formula One has moved on since the Bernie Eccleston days. But I, I, I think that what Dorna have done is, you know, they've managed to find another partner. Uh, there'll be more interest because Ducati are behind it. Why are Ducati behind it? Well, again, <laughs> did I mention I was a cynic a little earlier in this? Yeah, they get carbon points. You know, as soon as you've got an overall company that has got a green element to it, the overall company is seen as a much greener operation, that they are trying to buy into future uh, carbon neutral effort. It's bullshit. It's just, you know, I watched a program on the BBC the other day where these mines were being dug out. These kids were down mines, 100 yards under the ground, with mines falling in, collecting the precious metal for batteries. Where is the honesty in this? I, I'm sorry, I just, I, I do not get it. And, and until somebody can, can help me with, with the precious metals that are being bought out of a battery, for a battery, transported halfway around the world, and then when the battery's dead, just like my phone and anybody else, I know you haven't got one at the moment, Harry, because yours was stolen. But anyway, just like the batteries in a phone, when they go downhill and the performance slips to like 70% on your iPhone or whatever, you nip along to your little Apple store, all very pretty and beautiful, and they stick a new one in for 65 quid, 
and dump the old one. You know, all these old batteries. And in a car situation, the bloody things are, the, you know, a quarter of the weight of the car. They're, they're, they're a massive part of the car. It costs you thousands of pounds to replace the battery. And then they've got, there'll be some recyclable parts in it. Of course there will. But the majority of it at the moment goes in a bloody great big hole somewhere. I just don't get it. There's not the infrastructure to, to charge the things up. I'm moving away again from the fact that, that we have a race series that's going to be quite good with Ducati over the door. I'll, I'll bring myself back. <laughs> Claw it back. Drag myself back to the subject. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, was, I was on the uh, Hue and Rant, which is one that always comes out on my when it comes to electric vehicles. It's a great thing. Ducati getting involved. They're doing it, I'm sure, because it helps with their carbon neutrality as an overall company. Um, it makes sense. Dorna are pleased because it makes them look like they're making the effort in the green department as well. Greta will be very, very happy, um, and so should we be. We'll clip that up because that'll get <laughs> the uh, that'll get the views in. Um, and I, and I should actually say an apologies. I think at the start of the show I said that was coming from 2022. That is actually coming in from 2023. Uh, that is so Energy will then uh, will cease uh, to be in in, in Moto E. Uh, but Pete, what does that mean from from Energy side of things? You know, would you call that an unsuccessful run? I think. I think I think you have to give them credit. I mean, there's been no kind of technical failures with the bikes. It, it's what was needed. If if those bikes had been in a new series with so much sort of scepticism around it, if if the bikes had been breaking down all the time or running out of power on the last lap, you, it would have been a disaster, wouldn't it? You know, the bikes have kept going. There's been close racing. I think it, I think it's it, it it did the job that was needed for the very formation of this class, and this Ducati deal should take it to the next level. The big thing that Ducati uh, you know, spoke about at this announcement is, you know, Ducati are about, are about performance. And the big thing that they're going to, you know, one of the things they're going to focus on more than anything is getting the weight down. Because that's one of the big things at the moment is that I think the bikes are about 260 kilograms. I mean, they are massively heavy. So it'll be interesting, interesting to see what progress they can make in those terms. And then, you know, going back to Keith's point, the interesting thing as well is that Ducati pointed out they're not betting entirely on electric. Like, this doesn't mean that they're going all electric. What this means is that they're kind of keeping an eye on both camps. They do. They, they gave the example of Porsche. I think Porsche are looking at 80% electric, but the 911 will run these e-fuels or something. And that seems to be what Ducati's kind of got one eye on. Same group of, of ownership, of course, uh, VW. So... Uh, they're looking at that kind of thing. So what they're saying is we've got the, 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 the conventional engines, which it seems could be modified to use e-fuels. And then by, by doing Moto E, we'll also gain the technology for the electric side. So it's just kind of future-proofing their company was how they saw it. Um, and they're, so they're looking at both. Interesting also, I think the main Moto E GP class will eventually go to some sort of cleaner fuel and it's there's sort of hints that, that there'll be an announcement soon. Because let's remember, even when these laws come out that, that ban the sale of any internal combustion engine, there's tens of millions of cars, motorbikes that are going to be going around the planet for decades to come. So you need to do something with them. You need to have clean and cleaner fuels is really the only way to do it, isn't it? If you're going to make a big impact on emissions, you can't just say, oh, well, that's it. We're just selling electric now. So the problem's solved, even if you take into account all what Keith's saying about disposing of the batteries, you've still got all of the vehicles that are on the roads now and will be for some time to come. So this is where this e-fuel side does seem to play a, play a role, and especially in the performance side. I think there is quite a lot of scepticism that electric power, even with the big progress is being made for a, for a real top-level performance bike, maybe e-fuels will be a better better option. And so Ducati, they're going to have now have you know a foot in both camps in a way. 
Yeah, it's a really good point, actually. And, and we have had this debate before. If you want to go back through our podcast archives and have a listen to our, to our motor e-chat, I think, actually, it's, it's one of our highest uh, listening figure chats. So uh, it's it's a well worth uh, a listen and well worth a discussion. And, you know, interesting, actually, I think I spoke about it as well. But having having done the Porsche uh, Super Cup this year, of course, which supports Formula One, they were trialling uh, the e-fuels in their races, which is essentially the trying to be 80% more... Uh, or 80% greener and it seems to have to have worked so uh and then without any loss of speed or any anything to upset uh you know the cars so we'll see how that one uh, uh plays out but uh let's park the uh the green energy there for uh, a minute and focus uh towards this weekend uh Portimao we're back Keith and uh well it's a uh, Keith's insider guide too really isn't it now it's you know twisty bumpy Portimao is another difficult track what are you expecting from this weekend I should probably get the weather up shouldn't I Well, you should get the weather up, I think. Pull him out. I think at this time of the year, anywhere in Europe is, is touch and go. I mean, it could it could be rainy, it could be windy. I mean, it's quite often windy there, actually. But Pull him out as a racetrack, I'll first of all confess that I've never raced a motorbike, never ridden a motorbike around Pull him out. Um, it's one of those tracks that came online after my demise from, from, from bikes. It's a modern new racetrack that was built by a family that invested huge amounts of money in it. And the pandemic, they're one of the few... Um, areas and racetracks that have done really, really well out of a pandemic. MotoGP went there, then Formula One went there, um, and, and it's turned out to be an absolute godsend for the Portimao owners, and fair dues to them as well. You remember a good friend of mine, Craig Jones, was all part of the development there. There's a corner called Craig Jones Corner. Um, after poor old Craig, he left us after a Brands Hatch crash uh, quite a while ago now, it seems, but anyway... Um, so from that point of view, the track has got a great design. It's a really, really, you know, there's some elements there that are, that are, are quite hairy, actually. It's a, it's like an old school racetrack, but with runoff, which is always nice. Um, and it's in a beautiful part of the world. Portugal is, is, you know, Portugal is, is a fantastic place. I mean, it's quite quiet where it is there. Portimao is not, not really, you know, one of these massive, great tourist hotspots and the like. So it's a, it's a recommended journey, I think, to Portimao, um, I can't wait to go once I've been let off my leash <laughs> next year. Everyone, everyone brace themselves. But yeah, Pete, obviously, you know, the riders already been there this year. So everyone's, you know, got that under their belts. I've just had a quick look at the weather. Looks like it's going to be pretty dry and sunny. So uh, unless that dramatically changes, the weather shouldn't cause too much havoc. But I suppose we had the same discussion last week when we went back to Misano, isn't it? Always a help help when you've, you know, done, done that and already got the data. That's right. Yeah. I mean, was it November last year was the first race. So this will be the third time in a, in a year, basically, that most GP will have raced there. So it's gone from being a brand new track to, to something that's probably the most familiar to the riders of almost any track uh, in the last year or so. So, yeah, they know it well. Uh, that first that first race a year ago, obviously, Oliveira absolutely dominated the, the home star, if you like. And uh you know, fantastic end to his Tectoire career. And then he went over to the factory KTM team. And then when we came back this year in April, Oliveira and KTM absolutely struggled. And there have been this change in, in front tyre allocation. The, the tyres that were brought, they really struggled with that. Oliveira had used the, uh, I think it was a, a symmetrical hard when he absolutely dominated. They, when they came back, it was an asymmetrical hard front and they just couldn't get it to work. I think only one rider actually picked it for the race. So everyone else went with the medium and it just overheated for the guys like Oliveira and the KTM. So tyre tire allocation this weekend will be a really big thing in terms of their chances. 
Um, we saw Quattararo, he had a fantastic race earlier this, this year. So he's now, he's got the t- championship pressure gone. You've got to imagine he's going to be, you know, up there as a man to beat. I think it was nearly five seconds he won by in April over Banyaya. So, I mean, it was a real dominant performance. Having struggled in the first race in November, uh, Quattararo had a real tough time there. So I think you, you've got to imagine he's going to be up there. As Keith's been saying, you know, Quattararo... He's he's the guy for Yamaha as far as the other championships. Okay, his championship, if you like, is is done and dusted. But really, the pressure is not completely gone because if, if he was not to finish, it's going to really hurt their hopes. Morbidelli scored two points, was it, last time? That's his, his only points since he's joined the factory team. So Yamaha is still relying on Quattararo for the Constructors' Championship battle and the team's championship battle. So there's still some, still some stuff to be decided. Uh, the Riders' Championship, the first three places, look pretty much settled. But then from, I think, fourth till seventh or eighth, it's, it's really close. About 16 points between uh, Zarco, Miller, uh, Binder, and I think Mar- Marquez, of mm. course, who's coming on form now. Probably worth flagging that, I think, Pete, a bit more than you just did, really, because um, I'm glad you brought us to that, because that was in my head. Of course, 2019, he didn't go there. So the first one he had was was this year in um, in Portimao 1. And his performances over the last couple of Grand Prix, um, they've been quite good, wouldn't you say, really? So he's got a feature in our predictions a bit later on. I can see uh, Harry scribbling and fitting him in somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep, I actually am. <laughs> uh, but it's 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 one of those situations where um, watch out for Mark Marcus. This is his kind of racetrack. It's a proper racers track. Um, and I can see him, well, he's going to be in the top three. I have no doubt about that. And it's really important for him also because this is where he made his comeback, as you say. So he can really gauge his progress. You know, where was he? He was about seventh place, wasn't he? I think he finished. So we'll be able to see how much physically he's progressed during these, you know, this racing season. And you know, Mark, he's going to want to go into the year. Okay, Quattro is the champion, no question. But whoever wins these last couple of races, it's going to be on the minds of everyone, isn't it? All the way through the winter. Mark was quick, wasn't he, at the end of last year? You know, it's it's the sort of boost that Mark will want to give to himself, to Honda as well, to really get them, you know, prepared for next season and, and fighting for the championship again. Better watch out for that asymmetrical hard on. <laughs> See if it suits him. Um, we have a lot of listener questions that came in. Um, <laughs> and... But just before, in the build-up to giving our predictions, um, now apparently, uh, along, along with the questions, got a lot of comments, uh, particularly aimed at me and the way I say Quartararo, which is apparently incorrect. <laughs> and I'm, 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 I'll be upset because none of you two have called me up on it. <laughs> is it I say Quartararo, but apparently I should be saying Quattararo. But then, but but that doesn't. I feel like it's Bath Bath. You know, if you if you're from the north or the south in the in the United Kingdom. Mate, I tell you what, Harry, you're a commentator as well as I am, obviously. And the amount of times you yeah. get picked up for different names, <laughs> for different ways that you say names. I, I mean, my favourite one has got nothing to do with a name. It's because I, I always call an engine an engine. <laughs> so everyone's got, kind of thinking, you know, it's an engine. No, it's not. It's an engine. Of course it is. I mean, I'm from Essex. It's it's the way different people speak. I mean, look at uh, uh, another mate of mine, bloody James Hayden, when he calls Kawasaki. Kawasaki. Yeah. It was, it was a Kawasaki. 
you know, Yamaha. And he's and he's a died in the war motorcycle man. So I, I, I'd take no uh, bloody notice. Yeah, okay. I wouldn't call. I wouldn't say Quartararo. Personally. No, well, it, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> but, I, don't, I, don't, I don't normally say notice. It's just there was a lot in the last one because like, obviously he was the champion. And I thought, God, have I really been saying it that wrong? But then I thought, maybe. But... Uh, well, you've gone through. The, you've gone through the honeymoon period. I'm sorry. Now, now you're getting me. criticism. Now they, I'll do it. Oh, maybe I should do it with a proper French accent. Then, 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 then it becomes hard to say. But. Uh... <laughs> What was that? Was no, that? No, 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 no. That's how you should say. Anyway. I, I remember. I remember when I first heard. You know, we were talking last last episode how Quattararo. That's how I say. Yeah. It. I wouldn't in any way say that's the correct way. But how he was a massive star in CV before he came to Grand Prix. And I remember. You know, we were all sort of talking in the paddock. We heard about this this new kid coming up, and it sounded like a Spanish name to me. You know, it, possibly because he was racing the CV as well. And then uh, said, no, no, he's French. And uh, so I went to see a good friend of mine, Thomas Bajard, the French uh, journalist, and he, he, he tried to spend about a minute getting me to pronounce it correctly. No. So I, I think I, I still <laughs> have never been able to do it. But yeah, it's, uh, I think we need a, a native French person to actually, to actually yeah. you know, give us the correct uh, pronunciation. Uh, yeah, exactly. and then we'll still murder well, we it. covered that off now. Let's see, does he feature then, gentlemen? Uh, before we come on to the listener questions, we'll end with those. Let's get our predictions in there. And right now, it's just, well, it's continually not looking good for me. Uh, you two, neck and neck, though, with seven seven points apiece, if people have been paying attention to our point scoring process, uh, because I've, I haven't really. But uh, <laughs> Keith and Beat are well ahead of me. Um, so uh, have we got our top three? Uh, who went first last time? I think, I think I went first last time. So how about... Should we go with Pete first this this time? Pete, give us your top three for this weekend. <sighs> it's, it's not going to be very adventurous because I'm going for first pick. So I, I went with Bastianini last week. So I, I'm I'm keeping that one as my uh, you know better yeah, payoff. Yeah. So so I'll go for a, a very boring Quattararo, Banyaya, and Marquez. And I think we've explained yeah. why. But I think that Quattararo, you know, he was so dominant earlier in the year. Banyaya was second. You know, both of them have been the class of the field, and we're all expecting sort of Marquez to be up there this weekend so but I have to say you know third place it depending on the tyre choice there's a lot of riders that, that you know Oliveira, Mia, Miller yeah Oliveira's you know, looking better last it, time it could be a big group mm. yeah Keith well I actually did research on this because I'm fed up with being equal with Pete <laughs> I want to beat him now but sadly I've gone for the same three as him in a slightly different order I mean at, at, at one point I, I sort of went Bangnaya, Quattararo, Marquez then I kind of thought Zarco in Portimao. He had a really good ride in Portimao 1. So I kind of thought maybe Zarco could get in there. But then again, he always bloody lets me down when I when I go for Zarco. So I'm going to cross him off. So I'm going Quattararo, Marquez, Bagnaia. Marquez, Bagnaia. Okay. Well, now... I had those. I had that exactly as well, Keith. But you know what? In in for good sportsmanship, I'm going to change mine. Um, so I'm going to go for Quattrao and uh, Marquez one and two. <laughs> um, and I'm going to go. I'm going to. I'm going to go for Joanne Mir in third because that's where he came last time. So uh, and it, you know he, he can be a bit nifty in that Suzuki sometimes. So Mir is uh, going to be my pick for third. So. Uh, Hopefully, at least I'll claw some points back with that. But they're written, set in stone. Let us know yours in the comments below as well. We like to keep an eye on and see who's hot and who is not. Um, and in the comments section, there has been uh, some very nice messages, actually. I'm going to read one out, which is actually quite long, but it's a really nice message. And he, he asks a question as well. It's from Sean Naylor, who says, Gentlemen, 
I just want to say thanks for the great podcast. For years, I was happy just to watch the races when I could. Then I couldn't miss a race. Then I watch, uh, went from watching free practices and qualifyings. And when that was enough, I found your episodes here on YouTube. I guess I am a MotoGP junkie now. Your podcast allows me to participate in a deeper conversation about the riders and teams I love. And I greatly appreciate that. Uh, if I was given uh, the privilege to, of having a question answered during the podcast, I would uh, ask your thoughts on this new generation's sense of mutual respect. I first started watching racing casually back in 1992, both GP and Superbike, uh, and there seemed to be more aggression between riders then. Not all, but definitely for some of the top runners. You even still see that in the Rossi versus Biaggi era and somewhat during the Casey Stoner's time, um, but I'm very heartened to see the level of respect riders give each other these days seeing Banyaya come out to hug Quartararo is one of my favorite images of the weekend and Banyaya was my favorite for the race so I was suffering some serious disappointment I love this about MotoGP today fierce battles on the track respect in the paddock do you think there this was a, an organic change or am I remembering the old days differently uh, to what they actually were well a long question but thank you very much i mean a very yes, intelligent you, and uh and obviously you know we, we we're very pleased to have you with us of course and glad that you're enjoying it but i think you're absolutely right i mean i put it down to education i think the world has changed i think that things have changed massively from a much younger age i mean i couldn't find my ass in both hands until i was bloody 50 you know it, it was i feel inferior quite often with youngsters today i think that they have so much more on their plate they have so much more they have to deal with than i ever did in my time and we're crossing into that situation yeah there was a lot of aggression i always say that people get into violence generally because they've not got the intelligence not to you know an argument is an argument you both argue as reasonably well as you can and whoever hasn't won the argument loses without it turning into a fight i i always think that you know violence generally and and i have to say that i've been in many a fight in the paddock and on the track probably because i wasn't able to i didn't have the brain power to be able to work it out properly and it turns out into an explosion of aggression because you've got all that adrenaline and all that pumped up you know fight in you that you 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 want to convey but haven't got the tools to be able to convey it and i think kids today through their education through their families are completely different to how they were in my day and the degrees since then you know obviously things have generally got better you you always find there's one ass in the pack isn't there there's always somebody in the pack that's a bit overly aggressive both in your class in your workplace on the racetrack wherever it might be but generally they get pulled back a bit now they get called out um and I mean, it, social media, I, I think it goes too far in many respects. I mean, I am not a lover of the woke generation, as you might be surprised to hear. Harry. <laughs> I, I, I cannot stand the way that, you know, everything has to be the way some minorities want the majority to bend to their will. Um, but I love democracies. I love the fact we live in a democracy generally. And that we are moving forward. Things are getting better. You look at the world in some respects and it is better um, than it was back in the day. You know, you look at a, a film that I recommended highly on Twitter, you know, Missile from the East. It's about the, the Ernst Degner period coming back out of the war into 
you know, into to being a motorcycle racer and beyond that. You know, talking about it now has already sent the hairs up on the back of my hand, you know, because and on the front, you might know. <laughs> They're paws. Um, but the, the, the point being is, is that we've moved away from, in quite fast time, relatively, you know, in 50 years, things have changed massively. People have changed massively. We've integrated, you know, uh, socially with, you know, you know the, the diversity and inclusion thing, which I hate the phrase of, but I love the concept of, is that, you know, I live in a street that is, you know, full of foreigners. Now, my old nan would have hated living here, but I love it because it is so diverse. You know, you walk down the street and, you know, you see in here every different, you know, make and manufacturer of person. And I think that, that youngsters have grown up with that integration much better than perhaps we did. They are more reasoned in their thinking. They're more educated in their thinking. And I think that's where... You know, the over-aggression out on a racetrack has been tempered down a little bit because it's calculated, it's all thought about, it's all discussed, they've worked out everything. It's not a, it's not a knee-jerk reaction on the racetrack to, you know, sticking your elbow in somebody's face or, or shoving them off the track like you... you know, I, can, I can go back times where people have lashed out, kicked out, punched out on the racetrack during a race. I think I have, actually, <laughs> when I think about it. You know, the, you know, somebody puts a pass on you that you don't like, and you just ram it up the inside next time round, and 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 cause people harm. You know, Eddie Law, remember Eddie Lawson, kicking Christian Eden's dad, Paul Eden, at Spa because he'd got in his way. He, I was, I'm behind. I only fell off laughing. I never seen anything so funny. Eddie Lawson went so far out of his way to put the boot into Paul Eden <laughs> in a race in a Grand Prix. <laughs> One of the funniest yeah. things I've ever seen. Um, uh, and that's how it was back then. I mean, like, yeah, nowadays you'd, you'd, you'd have a race long ban for it. And quite rightly. I mean, there's, there's, you know, I'm not condoning that kind of activity. What I'm saying is, is that we've grown up, we've evolved. We are in a much, you know, a better world than we were back in those days, even though the competition on track has never been closer, has never been harder for. We have got better behaviour. I know that we've we've had some moments this year and there will always be moments where someone gets a rush of blood to the head, you know, the Fanatis of the world and the like, where, you know, even he's managed to temper it down a little bit in recent years as he's grown up and, and seen the error of his ways slightly. It's a long answer. Is it any help? Was I rambling? Well, I mean, Harry? well, you Can always you ramble, but there's usually some good stuff in there somewhere if you, if you, if you listen hard enough. Um, <laughs> but I think thank you to, uh, to Sean for, for sending in that, that comment and that question. It's really, really nice to, to see stuff like that. And hopefully, Sean, that does answer your question. Uh, Eddie Moore, always make sure you leave them on social media or on YouTube. And if you want to leave us a review, it really helps us if you leave it on Apple Podcasts. Uh, so just a little direction there. That really helps with the, the various algorithms and things like that. But uh, let's carry on and, and go through a few more. Hoss, one for both of you, this one. Uh, a bit a bit brutal. Um, he's asked, uh, who do you think least deserves their ride for next year? <laughs> a bit brutal. <laughs> who wants to take that one first? Oh, yeah. Over to you, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> the thinking time. Quickly, think, think, think. Um, 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 I'll tell you what, I'm th- whoever sent that question, yeah. he gets a point for, for being able to quite... Yeah, yeah, that, that, that was, that was uh, uh, something called Hoss on... Uh, I'll give you a Hoss clap on, for that. I'll tell you what I am pleased to see. I'm pleased to see uh, Ika Laquoda has found found his place in, in uh, World Superbikes with, with Honda alongside Xavi Viejo. I'm pleased to see that that he's found a, a good a good ride for him because I feel, I feel like that was a bit of an unjust decision to, to boot him out um, of MotoGP next year um if that has if this has sufficiently filled the void while you think of how to answer this question <laughs> yeah then let me let me um let me blow the internet up valentino rossi <laughs> well he hasn't got a ride yeah but he hasn't, yeah, yeah, he hasn't, he hasn't got, got a ride next year. yeah oh, we're talking about for next year yeah who leads yeah. next year oh, oh i'm sorry <laughs> but still ouch <laughs> So no, the question is who least who is le- who least deserves their ride for next year. So who's confirmed for uh, for next year and no. doesn't deserve it? Do you know what that that's that's not even one I would go near yeah. for next year. And the reason for that is is that you need to be in the paddock full time to see the potential in the people that we think maybe don't deserve it, and then they'll turn around and deserve it. Did Fabio Quattararo des- des- deserve the ride at Petronas? when he won one race officially, two races if you take it for the one he was disqualified from. Um, you know, there's always going to be a situation where the management in teams at trackside are looking all the time through magnifying glasses of what riders are not just capable of on the track, but where their potential off track is, how they handle the, the pitfalls and, and the like in the paddock. It's a community that is, is constant and they're always, always looking. I, I've always admired team management that have been able to make these picks out of some very uh, quite a large talented pool nowadays and they've managed to pull out these little gems here and there and i don't think i want to get involved in criticizing anybody's choice for next year at this point it's too early yeah it's so difficult isn't it because there's no there's no there's nobody there in motor gp that's there because they bought a lot of sponsorship with them you know, or something obvious like that, as maybe there there was in the past, wasn't there? There were a few riders that you could buy your way in, also to Formula One. But I think now all the riders are there on merit. They're all they've all proven they should be there. Uh, I mean, if you look at the championship standing, sure, you say, well, who's disappointed? You look at Rins in eleventh. You look at uh, Nakagami fifteenth. Alex Marquez sixteenth. But is that is that them? In the case of the LCR guys, is that them or the Honda? You know. It, it, you can't just you can't just uh, you you have to separate the two things in a way, and that's almost impossible to do because they've got to use the bike they've been given. The Honda is obviously a difficult bike to ride. They don't have the results this year that they had last year, so it's a bad year. Rins has fallen off a lot as well. You know, you know, it's it's so difficult to to say that that people don't uh, deserve their place. I think I think all of them. Are. I think that's the strength of MotoGP. I mean, uh, was it fifteen different riders on the podium this year? I mean, that's that's two thirds of the grid finishing on the podium uh, so it's i don't think we're in an era where you've got people that are that are way off the pace being lapped we're not seeing that anymore and that that's that's the great thing about much gp at the moment so i think all of the guys i mean marini front row you know i mean he hasn't had a great year. he was on the front row in, in Mizar- so we, we're seeing speed from everyone on the grid at some stage you know there's not guys that are just dropping off out the back so you, you need to see i think you know we need to see next season get underway and then what you're looking for, I suppose, is you're looking for a big gap between teammates. That's the most realistic gauge, isn't it? That, that, that if they've both got the same spec bike, that one guy is, is not you know, delivering on the same bike for the same team as the other guy. And I think you, know, you, you could look at Quattararo. I mean, the other Yamahas are way behind, but 
this seems like Quattararo has found a way to use this bike and the other guys are still struggling. You know, we've got Morbidelli injured at the moment. So we need to see what happens next year. Will this continue or will the other Yamahas catch up with him? Um, but yeah, that for me, it, I can't see these obvious examples because as I say, look at the LCR guys, they're next to each other in the championship. Now that's not really a coincidence, but if one of them was way up in the top four or five and the other one was down, you know, 16th, then I think you would say, well, what's going on there? Yeah, well, uh, come on, Hoss, who sent that one in. Bit brutal. Give him a bit of time before you uh, you chuck him out the, the door. Um, well, thank you for, for those questions. Uh, there's still some that we have in the backlog that we will endeavour to answer. Um, send them in in all the usual ways as well. But that just about does it. Uh, bang on the hour, just about maybe with some editing to play with. Uh, but we shall return uh, with you uh, for the uh, next or well, next time, which will be after Portimao next week. Um, but the racing action kicks off, of course, or the track action kicks off from Friday this week in Portugal and you can keep up to date with all the very latest as ever on crash.net any questions send them in all the usual ways in the comment section on YouTube tweet Instagram or Facebook us just search crash moto GP and please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcast particularly if you listen on Apple Podcasts, it just really helps uh, us uh, with uh, all the various algorithms as I said early on uh, but we uh, shall see you right back here next time my thanks to Keith my thanks to Pete I've been Harry Benjamin we'll see you next time bye bye Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.